We're in a series, Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. If, if you're new with us today, we've been in a series beginning in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through Genesis chapter 11 in this series. Now, I would encourage you to go to our website or go to our YouTube page and catch up with where we are in this series. I think it will help you if you do that. But today, we're going to dive in headfirst to uh, Genesis chapter 7. We're going to cover all 24 verses. The title of the message is The Flood Part 2. If you, if you remember last week, we dipped our toes in this chapter, but today we're going in with both feet, okay? So I encourage you, to take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 7, and I want to remind you of two big things that I pointed out last week that's super important to get the proper understanding and interpretation of this chapter. Number one, the flood is historical, not mythical. It really happened. Number two, the flood was global, not local. Now, this biblical narrative that we're diving into features a world occupied by people who were as rotten as food stored in a freezer that has been without power for days. Have you ever had that happen? Listen, I, I remember a couple of times in mine and Darlene's life together where we didn't know that the freezer was out, but the freezer was out. And meat and, and, and stuff that we had in there, you opened it, and I'm telling you, it stunk to high heaven. It was enough to gag a maggot. I'm serious. And you know what you had to do? You, you had to pull all of that stuff out. You had to throw it away, and you had to do a deep clean on that freezer and leave the top open and let the stink sort of dissipate. Well, that's the way the world was in Noah's day. That's why the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to use the word corrupt repeatedly when he described the people who were living in the world in that time. They had written the Creator God off. They had rejected His righteous standards. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man, what a statement. What a description of the world of that day. And the Bible says in, in verse 6 that the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The world was fractured by immorality, by violence, by rebellion and ungodliness. And don't miss this. God's heart was broken over the brokenness of the world he had created. By this time, the population of the earth had exploded. But out of all of these people on the earth during that time, only Noah found favor with God. 
This godly man was given the task of building a massive ark within a time frame of, of 120 years. Once it was completed, God promised that he was going to blot out every living thing that he had created through his judgment, a judgment of the flood. Last week we ended and I said, you got to come back for the rest of the story. Well, today we're going to look at the rest of the story. In Genesis chapter 7, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, The Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone I've seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you of every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of the animals that are not clean too, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky by sevens, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of all the earth. As far as we know, this is the first time in 120 years that God had spoken to Noah. God had given him a command, and Noah was obedient to that command, and for 120 years, he worked, and he developed, and he built this massive ark. And now God speaks to him again. And God tells him to enter the ark with his family. This would place Noah and his family under the seal of God's protection and provision while the rest of the world encountered incredible judgment and wrath of God. I want you to see that God made a distinction between the clean and the unclean. As far as we know, as far as I know, this is the, only, the first time in the Bible that we see God making this distinction. Clean and unclean, righteous and unrighteous. Evidently, the Creator God wanted these clean animals and birds. He said, I want seven pairs of these clean animals and clean birds to go on the ark. And only one pair of the unclean animals was placed on the ark. And then there was the evidence of God making a distinction between righteous Noah and the unrighteous human race that surrounded him. In Genesis chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, the story continues. For after seven more days, God says, I will send rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And I will blot out from the face of the land every living thing that I have made. Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. As I studied this chapter, I noticed that the words all, every, and everything dominates this entire chapter. In fact, 17 times in this chapter, one of those words is used, all, every, or everything. And, and I ask myself, why this repetition of, of these descriptive words? And I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to use those words to help us understand the total devastation that would occur 
in God's righteous judgment using the flood. The Bible says, after seven more days, I will send rain, blot out from the face of the earth, every living thing that I've made, and Noah obeyed God. This was seven days of grace. It was like a two-minute warning in an NFL football game. The game is coming to an end. If the game is close, those teams must decide what they've got to do in the final two minutes to win the game before the horn sounds. And this is what it was in Noah's day. It was God's two-minute warning. And God was giving the human race seven more days, seven days of grace. However, not one single person on the planet repented of their sin and believed in God. Not a one. Noah's unquestioned obedience stands in stark contrast to the corrupt world of his day. Noah was a nonconformist. He didn't conform to the world. Did you know that if you're a born-again believer, Jesus Christ expects you to be a nonconformist? The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now look at, listen to verse 2. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Can I ask you a question? If you're a born-again believer in this room, are you a nonconformist? Or do you, or, or do you give in to the world system? Or are you enmeshed in the world system? I tell you on the authority of God's word and based on Noah's example, God expects every believer to be a nonconformist. Will you commit your life to Christ? Will you commit to living obediently according to the teachings of the word of God? Now look at verses 6 through 9. Now Noah was 600 years old when the flood of water came upon the earth. 600 years old. And he was ready. He was ready for the challenge. Then Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him entered the ark because of the water of the flood. Of clean animals and animals that are not clean and birds and everything that creeps on the ground, there went into the ark to Noah by twos, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. There are those who question the authenticity of the flood narrative because they say, well, how in the world could Noah uh, gather up all of these animals and get them in the ark two by two? How could Noah do that? Noah didn't do that. God did that. God caused these animals to migrate. Can you get the picture? Here's this monstrosity of an ark. There's one door to the ark. There's a gangplank leading up to that door. 
And here comes Mr. and Mrs. Lion. And they walk up the gangplank into the ark. Here comes Mr. and Miss, Mrs. Rhino. <clears throat> and they walk up the gangplank into the ark. <clears throat> Here come Mr. and Mrs. Flea. And they walk up to the ark. That, that, sometimes I wonder why God put mosquitoes and, and fleas in the ark. But, but you know, God can do whatever God wants to do. He's the creator, right? But I'll tell you, every clean animal and every unclean animal that God wanted on the ark, he made sure they got to the ark. Noah didn't have to ride a horse and round them up. God did that. What an amazing God we serve. You know what's amazing, though? What's amazing is that the lions and the, the rhinoceroses and the fleas and the mosquitoes and all of these, these animals obeyed their master, and yet you've got a whole world who rejected the creator God and rejected his standards. And Noah and his family got on the ark. That was the only safe place they had to go. If they wanted to survive God's judgment, they had to get on the ark. And once they got on the ark, they were sealed off from the world outside. They were sealed off from extended family members who rejected God, the creator. They were sealed off from neighbors that they had shared maybe a meal with. They were sealed off from close friends who rejected God, and they were in the ark by themselves, eight people who believed God's word. And outside were the unrighteous who rejected God's word. They're in there, and they're waiting for the inevitable. I, you know, I often wonder, what were Noah's neighbors thinking? Now, now think about this. <clears throat> you're, you're out there, you rejected God, you've rejected his standards, but all of a sudden, there's a parade of animals walking two by two up a gangplank into this massive ark that Noah had built. You would think that it would cause some of them to say, hey, Maybe Noah's not so nutty after all. Maybe there's something to this message that he's been preaching to us for years and years and years. But no one repented. Not a single person believed in God other than Noah and his family. Look at verses 10 to 12. And it came about after the seven days. The seven days of grace came to an end. That the water of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the fountains of the great deep burst open and the floodgates of the sky were open. The rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. 
This description seems to be a reversal of creation. Take your Bible, flip back to Genesis chapter 1. Look at verses 6 and 7. Genesis 1, 6 and 7. The Bible says, then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. That's our atmosphere. And let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. Now, what are these waters above the expanse? Well, most scholars believe that there, were, there was a, a water vapor canopy that, that encased the earth during that day. In fact, it protected people from dangerous UV rays. That's why people lived to like 900 years old. Remember, Methuselah lived to be 969 years old. And this massive water vapor canopy, when God said it's time to release the flood upon the earth and to judge the people of the earth, God released that torrential amount of water and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. You say, Pastor, you really believe it rained torrentially for 40 days and 40 nights? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. You say, well, why would you believe that? Because it's in the Word of God. Listen, the Word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword piercing as far as the vision of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It is truth without mixture of error. And the Bible says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And, and you may be like some of the people in Noah's day calling him nutty Noah or crazy or whatever. And you may say, preacher, you're nuts. I'll tell you what, I'll be a nut for Jesus any day. Any day. I believe the word of God. So there was a, the, 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 the waters above the expanse were released. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And then it mentions the waters below the expanse. Now, what in the word world is he talking about here? Well, from below, a massive geological upheaval occurred and great streams of water which had collected in reservoirs underneath the earth and in the, the, the rivers and in the, in the oceans, these great powerful gushers came to the surface with great power. And I'll tell you, it came down, the water came down from above and it came from below and it flooded the entire world and every living thing's life was snuffed out. Look at verse 13 and six through 16. On the very same day, Noah, Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, the sons of Noah, Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. Noah was a godly dad. He made sure his family believed in God. He made sure that his family got on the ark. What a message for every dad in our presence here today. What a message for every dad who's watching live stream. 
Make sure that your family believes in Christ. Make sure that your family believes in the Word of God. Make sure that your family seeks first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Make sure that your family gets on board the ark. Some may say, well, why didn't God tip them off? Well, look at this, verse 14. They and every beast after its kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind and every bird after its kind, all sorts of birds. Now, let me just pause right there. Notice those three little words, after their kind. You talking about putting a spear in the idea of evolution. That puts a spear in the, the ideology of evolution. Listen, God is a creator God. God created everything after its kind. Birds do not become rhinoceroses. Tadpoles do not become human. They do not. Everything was created after its kind. And God made sure that the, the birds and the, the cattle and the creeping things that creep on the earth and every beast that he wanted in the ark got in the ark after their kind. Verse 15, so they went into the ark to Noah by twos of all flesh in which was the breath of life. Those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him. And the, listen to this. And the Lord closed it behind him. Now, I'm sure you may have thought, well, how did Noah get out there and close the door and get back in the ark? Noah didn't close the door. Ladies and gentlemen, God closed the door. So why didn't God tip the people off? That reminds me of a parable Jesus told in Luke 16, the parable of the rich man in Hades. And the rich man was in hell and and he cried out to Father Abraham, if someone would only go to my dead brothers, they would repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Right. You, you know what God's saying in that text there in, in Luke 16? They got the word of God. They got the word of God. Now, don't forget the rotten world of Noah's day was blessed with the relentless preaching of Enoch and Noah. They witnessed a powerful testimony to God's impending judgment when they, they saw Noah day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year for 120 years building the ark. And Methuselah, whose name meant when he dies it will come, had died. His name meant when he dies, the flood will come, and he died. Now, that's a dead giveaway, no pun intended. He died. 
It, it seemed like some of the folks would have said, hey, this dude has a name that means something, and it means when he dies, it will come. Maybe we should rethink this thing, but nobody rethought it. Nobody believed in God. There was only eight people on the ark who survived the judgment that God unleashed on planet Earth. And it was Noah and his family. Wickedness, violence, and moral corruption destroyed their ability to respond to God. And they had crossed God's deadline. The seven days of grace were finally over. And now they were without hope. And God closed the one door that led into the ark. Their doom was sealed. Noah and his family's deliverance were sealed within the ark. They were safe and protected. But everybody else was outside. And then verses 17 to 24. Then the flood came upon the earth for 40 days. And the water increased and lifted up the ark so that it rose above the earth. Can't you just imagine? Can't you picture it in your, eye, in your mind's eye? You have all of these people who had rejected God and rejected God's truth outside the ark. Remember, it had never rained a, a single time on this earth but it began to rain. Can you imagine what the people out there thought? What is this? And it continued to rain. And suddenly, gigantic, powerful geysers just blew up from the earth and, and water began to spout up hundreds of feet high. And it was raining and the water was coming from above and below and, and the water got up to their ankles. And, and can you see them? Can't you just imagine them running to the ark and beating on the door of the ark? Noah, let us in, let us in. But Noah couldn't open the door because Noah hadn't closed the door. Friend, I want you to know something. There's a day of grace when the Spirit of God moves in your heart and reveals the gospel to you, the truth of God, and, and draws you to the Lord Jesus. But I want you to know something. You can reject and reject and reject to the point that you can sin away your day of grace. And just as God shut the door, on people who had rejected him in Noah's day, God will shut the door of salvation in your face. Now listen, you're in this room today. You're watching live stream today. You know what that tells me? God's still dealing with your heart. You've not sinned away the day of grace. I beg you, I beg you, give your heart to Jesus today. Look at verse 18, the water prevailed and increased greatly upon the earth and the ark floated on the surface of the water. Verse 19, the water prevailed more and more upon the earth so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. This was no local flood. 
This was a worldwide catastrophic flood brought about by the judgment of Almighty God. Verse 20, the water prevailed 15 cubits higher and the mountains were covered. Listen, for 22 feet, 22 feet is 15 cubits. And it was tw every, the highest mountain on the face of the planet was underwater by 22 feet. Verse 21, all flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds, cattle, and beasts, and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth, and all mankind. Of all that was on the dry land, dry land, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things to birds of sky. They were blotted out from the earth, and only Noah was left together with those who were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. You know what that means? It means the water continued to rise incrementally for 150 days. In Genesis 6 through 9, there are more than 30 references to a global flood and the, the, the statement the water, about the water prevailing literally means that the waters were overwhelmingly mighty in the Hebrew language. The destruction encompassed people, animals, birds, trees, vegetation, everything. Hey, this narrative is bone chilling. Think about what we've read today in God's Word. I want to close by focusing your attention on the prevailing truth that dominates this entire chapter. It's the same truth I shared with you last week. Seize your God-given opportunity. Seize it. Seize it, number one, to learn from this example. Have you ever asked yourself why the Holy Spirit would inspire Moses to include this chapter, this bone-chilling narrative in the Word of God? Well, here's a verse in the New Testament I want, I want to point you to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible says, Now these things happen to them as an example and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, that's referring to the example of the children of Israel who rebelled against God in, in the wilderness. But it certainly applies by precept to all of the narratives that we find in the Old Testament. They have been placed there by the Spirit of God to teach us a lesson. And what should we learn from this example? Well, there's so much in this example we can learn about God. We can learn that God is a God of grace. We can learn that God is a God of infinite power where nothing is impossible with him. We can learn that God is a God who keeps his word, who keeps his promises. We can learn that God is a God of holiness. We sang about the holiness of God.
He's a holy God. And we can learn that God is a God of justice. Of justice. Seize your God-given opportunity to learn from this example. Number two, seize your God-given opportunity to prepare for the future. Isn't it interesting that God has revealed in this word that we call the Bible, he's revealed to us what's going to happen in the future. It's called prophecy. I'll tell you, friend, we ought to study prophecy because it comes straight from the heart of God. People say, well, why didn't God give them a a chance in Noah's day? He did. And he's giving us a chance in our day. He's told us beforehand what's going to happen at the end of the age. In, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 37 and 39, Jesus said, For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark, and they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Listen, dear friend, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. God's going to judge this world again. You know why? Because the whole human race has become corrupt. We are corrupt to the core. We stink to high heaven, and we have broken the heart of God. I'm reminded of Jesus when he came into Jerusalem there. The last time, the Bible says he, 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 he saw Jerusalem, and the Bible says he wept over Jerusalem. And then he prophesied that Jerusalem would be surrounded And men, women, boys, and girls will be killed. And the Jewish people would go into a diaspora. They'd be scattered across the face of the planet. And that happened. And God's saying to us, it's coming. We're in the two-minute warning I'm not listening for a horn to sound. I'm listening for a trumpet to sound. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, Paul said, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere, that includes Carnival, should repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. The clock is ticking. We're in God's two-minute warning, and he's about to unleash his wrath on a rotten world, and he's about to clean the slate, and he will one day create a new heavens and new earth where everything is perfect and clean and pristine. Are you ready for this? Seize your God-given opportunity. Number three, to be saved by Jesus. 
the ark that saved Noah and his family from the wrath of God's judgment is a crystal clear picture of what Jesus does for those who receive him by faith. Jesus is our ark who provides deliverance from the coming judgment of God. He is the door to abundant and eternal life with God in heaven. In John chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, Jesus said, I am the door. You, you think about that door in the ark. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Have you come through the door? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord? In Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, Paul wrote, But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for your sins on the cross. Verse 9, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. You want to be saved from the wrath of God that's coming on this planet? You've got to believe in Jesus. It doesn't mean you admire Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're religious. It doesn't mean any of that garbage. It simply means that you believe in Jesus. You believe he's who he said he was, and you trust him as your personal Lord and Savior, and you commit your life to him, and you follow him for the rest of your days. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. That's what it means to come through the door. Our only hope of salvation is Jesus. And that door is open for you today. It's open. It won't stay open. You hear me now? It won't stay open. But it's open today. It could close tomorrow. It could close this afternoon. It could close tonight. It could close next week. It could close at any moment. Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He was raised from the dead so that you could be justified before God the Father and you could have the incredible assurance of knowing that you have eternal security in him. One day, God will say enough is enough. Don't send away your day of grace. Come to Jesus today. Today. Seize your God-given opportunity. That's what this chapter just screams at us. Seize your God-given opportunity to learn from this example, to prepare for the future, and to be saved by Jesus. And number four, to get right with God. You see, there's a message in here for every born-again believer. You're you're a Christian. I praise God that you're a Christian and you're on the ark. You're, You're safe and secure in Christ. I praise God for that. But you need to understand that Jesus has some expectations for you and me as a believer. Listen, your life is just a vapor. James says it's here one moment, it's gone the next. Now's the time to make Jesus and his kingdom your number one priority. 
Now is the time to serve Jesus by engaging in the ministry of this church. Now is the time to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Now is the time to share the gospel with your relatives, your neighbors, your friends. Now is the time to live like Jesus matters because he does. He does. Now is the time to seize your God-given opportunity. You may never be a part of another worship service. My heart breaks for Heather Stovall. Kenny had his 51st, 51st birthday the other day. He was praying that God would give him a new heart, a heart transplant. But it wasn't to be. And Kenny stepped into eternity because he had put his faith and trust in Jesus. He had seized his God-given opportunity. Will you? Will you? I'm going to ask our worship team to come, our staff to come. And I want to give you an opportunity today. Number one, if you're a believer, I want to give you an opportunity to get right with God. I would, I would encourage you to come to this altar and kneel before your Lord. And wherever you're not right with God, get right with God. Line your life up with his word, his will, and his way. And I want to encourage every person within the sound of my voice. If you've never repented of, of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, come to one of our staff and just tell them today you want to be saved. Maybe God has spoken to you about understanding who he is as you study this chapter. And he's revealed some amazing things to you, not only about his character, but also about what's coming in the future. Hey, make sure, make sure you're ready for what's coming. It's not a game. The clock is ticking. We're in God's two-minute warning. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray the Spirit of God would work in the hearts of people in this room, would work in the hearts of those watching by live stream. Oh God, save us, change us, help us to be ready for what's coming. Lord, we love you. I pray we would not be caught flat-footed when the two-minute horn sounds or the trumpet sounds. Oh, God, help us to be ready. In Jesus' name, amen.